Hey, good morning on Tuesday morning, Top Fan Rivalry followers. It's Bill from Top Fan Rivalry. I got a returning guest in the clubhouse, one that was so much fun to interview a while back, and he's got so much baseball knowledge and history. He's written a book. We'll talk about that during the interview today. But I want to welcome Zach back in the clubhouse. Zach, how are you doing on this Tuesday morning? I'm doing great. Good morning, Bill. It's great to be back on the show. Hey, it's great to have you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, so last time we did kind of an interview with you that was just almost an introductory interview. Today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into your history because I, I think there's a ton of fans that would love to hear some of your stories. So first of all, what made you a baseball fan? Kind of tell us where all that began. Well, I'll tell you. Hey, I wrote a lot of credit for everything that's happened. Uh, as well as Tommy Lasorda for everything that's happened in my baseball life. But to answer your question, the first person to take me to a ball game live was my mother. And she took me to old Comiskey Park. And I saw the White Sox play the Yankees in probably about 1957 or so. Um, so that goes back a long ways. But that was my first game which would have made me about maybe eight or so and I uh, fell in love with baseball uh when I got to California um and I grew up out there uh of course my dad took me to many 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 games old I was thinking the other day I saw a picture of old Wrigley Field in Los Angeles uh I saw games there um I saw games at the Coliseum so uh, obviously, my 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 dad uh, gave me my love of baseball, but uh, crediting my mother, she took me to my first game. Okay, okay, I love I love the history of it. There's going to be so many people that are going to listen to this that are going to love your your history side of this because you can tell us about stuff that that we haven't experienced. So, Zach, I know that because you and I have talked offline, I know that you used to work in the game. Tell us about your time working in the game, kind of what you did, how you did it. Yeah, well, I got, you know, as again, I refer to the book, my my career started in the minor leagues at the in the rookie league, going with Tommy and running his clubhouse for three years. And then uh, I was still in high school and Tommy moved to Spokane. The season started earlier, and so I couldn't go work in Spokane because I was still in high school and in Los Angeles. So uh, rather than not be in the game, I fortunately went to the Dodgers and uh, interviewed with Noby, who was the equipment guy at the time, and I ended up working in the clubhouse for the big club in 69 and 70 and worked shine shoes, clean clean bathrooms, you know, sat down the left field line in Dodger Stadium. Uh, and it was, you know, for a high school kid, it was it was terrific. It was like a dream. So that really started me thinking about working in the game. But I really didn't start until a little bit later. Uh, I was at this time married, living all small. And I got a call from the Rangers uh, where Bobby Valentine was managing. And uh, he was on that Ogden club that I wrote the book about. And we've remained friends. And he called and he asked me if I might be interested in the visiting clubhouse job in Arlington. 
would I want to come down and interview with the then general manager, Tom Grieve? And I said, yeah, I'll come, I'll come interview. And, and um, so I did that, went down, I interviewed and I accepted the visiting clubhouse job in Texas and uh, worked the visiting clubhouse for seven years, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, of all my baseball experiences, not counting my minor league, which I love, um, I think the visiting side really, for me, was great. It was, uh, I got to meet, I have friends today uh, that are, are still friends that were players back then, and they remembered my clubhouse and how we did things. And um, it just was a great time. And I, I did that for seven years and, and you know, worked with the Puckets and the Bretts and the Younts and the Molitors and all those kinds of players. And it was just a terrific decade or two decades, really, to uh, to be involved in in Major League Baseball. And I, that I'm forever grateful for that. Uh, after the seven years, the Rangers decided they were going to move me to the home clubhouse, Joe Macko and myself. So I moved to the visiting or from the visiting side to the home side and Joe moved from the home side to the visiting side. Uh, and that's when the new regime came into Texas, which was Doug Melvin, the GM and Johnny Oates was the field manager. And so I moved to the home side and I did 15 years on the home side. Uh, I enjoyed it, but it was a lot different than the visiting side was. And a lot more responsibility, I will admit, with for budgetary and things like that. Um, but I loved both, really. And it, it, it was my life, baseball, at, at that point. And uh, so after Clubhouse working, they grew up in there. Um, my youngest at the time when we got there was 11, uh, 9 seven and little my little guy was five and they came into the clubhouse regularly for the 20 years I was there there was at least one or two of them there daily you know Rudy got older he moved to Chicago he wanted to go to law school so he left they won't they, they you know if they wanted to leave they could leave nope they loved it and they all were a part of it and, uh, you know, as a father, it was terrific for me that I could have my kids at the workplace every day. And uh, uh, except for when we traveled, obviously. Um, Calvin, my third son, ended up pretty much my assistant. Uh, Perry and Z young Zach went into the um, administrative side of it. And Calvin preferred to stay in what I did the baseball ops side of it. And Calvin is now the equipment manager for the Atlanta Braves. So his work with me all those years, uh, I think paid off and uh, he runs a terrific clubhouse. Now he's been part of a world championship team and uh, he's been very fortunate. The other two, they, they headed towards, as I mentioned, the administrative side. Uh, my second son's the general manager, the angels, and my fourth son, the youngest son, Zach, is a vice president. And, uh, and then I mentioned Calvin being with Atlanta. So I've got three of my four sons in Major League Baseball, all the different teams, 
all doing what they love, what they, you know, what they love to do, what they wanted to do. And uh, that was most important to me. Um, I never wanted them to feel that they had to do something with baseball. And I think they made their own choices and they were good ones. Very good. I, I love that history. And I love the way that you gave them the love for the game. If you remember our first interview that we did, I asked you, you know, where did your love of the game start? And you had mentioned, you know, your mother. And and that's always my favorite question to ask people mm -hmm. because it always comes back to family. And I love that baseball is family mm -hmm. is what it is. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, with ours, it is with ours. It is. My dad was a tremendous baseball fan and a, a, a tremendous Dodger fan. And uh, he just he loved the game. And, and that love uh, was apparent and obvious for me to latch on to it. And uh, I played the game as a youngster. I played enough of it. Um, and I I grew up I grew up just loving the Dodgers and idolizing all those guys that played on the team in the 60s. Yeah. So. Okay, so of all the baseball stuff that you've done, do you have a couple of favorite players that you enjoyed meeting and interacting with that you could say, man, I, I'd love to bump into that guy again, or I've stayed in contact with that guy? Or is there, is there a couple of players out there that you just love being well, around? You know, when you're around them so much, Bill, you, you they all become your favorites. You remember so many fond things about all of them. But I will tell you, um, I, I can't pick a favorite, but I can say that some of the guys I named, um, Yao, Brett, Puckett, I've never seen a leader like Kirby Puckett. He would will his team to win. He would come in the clubhouse with a smile on his face and very upbeat and say, hey, guys, jump on my back tonight. I got gotcha. you. Um, I mean, they, these are Hall of Fame guys that were just terrific ball players. So it's hard for me to pick a favorite. I loved all of those guys. But the most amazing to me to watch and to kind of get to know was Bo Jackson. I, I just uh, uh, right behind him, I would say, would be Junior Griffey. Those two guys. Um, to me, um, they were special. You know, a little different because now rather than seeing these guys just for three days, maybe twice a, twice a year, uh, now you're with the same group of guys every day, all year. And so you, you, you get closer to some uh, than you do to others. You get to know some more than you do others. And I had a few favorite Rangers. Bobby Witt uh, was a favorite of mine. Darren Oliver was a favorite of mine. Um, again, one of the one of them that I really admire and looked up to and said, wow, like I uh, kind of with Bo and a completely different player was Michael Young. I mean, he was yeah. just the epitome of a baseball player he, and a family man and a guy that, you know, the money in the contracts weren't the only thing that he was in the game for. And um, so I loved Michael. And um, 
But like I say, you know, when you're around him, when you're on the outside looking in and people used to say, wow, it's glamorous and it's great. And wow, what a job. But I'd like to have your job. And it was a great job for sure. Um, but I think when you get put in that position, you have to kind of get away from being awed by who these players are and kind of look at them more realistically as, as human beings rather than ball players. Yeah. So, uh, so, and you're absolutely right. I've had my a chance to be around some major league players as well. And you just, you look at them as human beings. You don't, you don't awe about yeah. them anymore because they suffer just like we suffer. They, they're happy. They're, they're sad. They have bad days, you know? Yep. And, and so I get it. Okay. Yep. So you've mentioned the book. So, Retell everybody about this book that you wrote and tell us kind of the, the genesis of where it came from. What gave you the idea to write this book? It's a phenomenal book, by the way, guys. I have a copy. I've read it. It's phenomenal. But I'm going to let Zach tell you about it. I, I, I'll tell you, uh, Bill, it was, you know, those everybody's got certain years in their lives, I think, that were impactful. And the three years that I spent in Ogden working for Tommy as a 14, 15, and 16-year-old, three summers, those three years, to me, were the most impactful years of my life. And they put me on a direction to where I wanted to go. Um, and it, I did for a career, really... Terrific. It was terrific. I mean, I couldn't have gotten better preparation than I got at that time. So um, that being said, uh, those Ogden years were were so fresh in my mind, even though they were 54, 55 years ago. And um, with Tommy's passing, I felt this compulsion to write these things down because he would tell these Ogden stories over and over, over the past 50 years. Um, with his passing, I felt like, geez, we're never going to hear these stories again unless I tell them, and I'm not a storyteller. So <laughs> certainly not like Tommy. And so I said, what I need to do is sit down and put this stuff on paper and see if there's a way to um, get the word out. So when we're all gone, that book will still be up on there was once a team many years ago called the Ogden Dodgers and they can read about that summer and the players and what they felt Tommy's impact was on them and the book is not about the stars we had Garvey we had Buckner we had Valentine we had Sandy Vance we had Tom Peshore these are all guys that went to the big leagues now and uh it's not about them it's about the guys that got released a year or two later, went home, had families, got jobs, started businesses. But the one thing they had three months as a Dodger in Ogden under Tommy. And so that was the whole idea of the book, the premise of the book, why I felt it had to be read. Uh, it was it, written and read. Um it was mentioned, I did a podcast with somebody out of Philly and he mentioned 
And he's right. Nobody would have ever heard of the Ogden Dodgers. Nobody would have ever written a word about them if you didn't sit down and write this book. He's right. So when he, it really struck home when he said that. It made me feel good. And it's it, it service. And um, <clears throat> it chronicles the season. It talks about the players. But the main cog in it is Tommy and how he dealt with young people. What, what a master he was at motivation and getting the best out of a player. Um, and he did it in the big leagues, you know. And this was before he was famous, before he was, you know, worldwide known. Uh, he was just a minor league manager trying to teach kids how to play the game. And he did it better than anyone I ever saw. And I could have, to, to, to mention this, um, I could have written about any of the three, 67, 68. We won three pennants. Every team won the pennant. The 68 team had happened to have the bigger names and more stars that went to the big leagues. And so I, I use them to write about. But if there's a documentary in the future for this book, what I'm hoping to do is go to 67 and 68 or 66 and 67 and interview probably another 40 or 50 players uh, so we have more content and possibly we can get some kind of documentary made out of this thing. And we'll call it the Ogden years. And those were the three years when Tommy finished his three years and he won three pennants. He was promoted to AAA. Um, and then obviously in 76 was named the Dodger manager. So that was his stepping stone too. Um, just like the players, you know, they were all trying to to get ahead and advance, and so was Tommy, and he yeah. and he obviously did that. He obviously did that. Well, I look forward to that documentary. The uh, we'll have to talk about that offline. I think got some great <laughs> great thoughts about that. Yeah. But, um, tell me, did you have a favorite part as you were collecting the book? Because it the stories that you put in there are phenomenal, and again. Everybody, we'll talk at the end about how you get the book. Um, yeah. Your favorite part of the book that you wrote that just screams out to you, you know, this was well, my favorite part to write. Um, of course, the season was just a, a long, you know, it was 64 games and it was every day. And, you know, just playing the games and competing and watching the guys out on the field. I mean, that really was my favorite part, but so many things went on, so many pranks, so many just fun stuff where Tommy made it fun. I mean, he wanted to win and, and believe me, no one wanted to win more than him. Uh, uh, and he would be, but he also wanted to have fun and uh, he made it that way for the players. And if people read this book, they will, by the players' interviews, we'll see what he meant to them, what how he inspired them, what you know, what he did, uh, how he mattered in their lives, and that was my favorite part. You know, seeing him interact with these kids, not necessarily all baseball, could be life stuff. You know, um, the toughest day was when we had to cut after the first ten days. 
we had about 10 extra guys in camp and we worked out for 10 days before the season started. And at the end of those 10 days, Tommy had to sit 10 guys down and send them home. And that was a tough, that was a, that was a tough thing to do because by then you'd gotten to know the guys They kind of formed a brotherhood with their teammates and that's, 10 of them had to go difficult thing to do. Bobby Valentine remembered watching Tommy release the guys in the lobby. He'd take them in the corner and release them and talk to them quietly and pay them or whatever, you know, he had to do. And he said, I was sitting up there on the stairway. Nobody knew me, knew, knew I was there or knew I was watching. And I was watching the goings on bawling like a little baby crying for my teammates that were being sent home. And this is a guy that was a number one pick, got some money to sign, could have not given a damn about any of that and worried only about himself. But he had uh, the wherewithal uh, and the, the to, to, to suffer for his teammates, to suffer for the guys that had to go home, which I thought was very, very interesting. Yeah, it's... So tell me, I, I love this. I, I, we could do this all day. I got a final question for you because I don't want to give too much away. I want, yeah, yeah. I want people to get your book. Yeah. <laughs> don't want, well, I think I, I think they'll like it, Bill. I really do. It's an easy read and it's a lot of fun stuff. Oh, it's a very easy read. I read it in a couple of days and it's phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Um. So give me one or two stories about Tommy that that you'd want people to know, whether they're in the book or not, whether it's a personal experience with Tommy that you had or something. I'll tell you one that's in the book and one that isn't. Okay. Uh, the one that's in the book, first of all, his favorite story was the, the, the stopping at the restaurants on the road for a, for a meal. And, and he early on brought me up and said, here's what you're going to do. We're going to stop. at a diner, Dogden Dodgers, and you have 25 players on the bus and they're all ready to come in and eat. Can you handle this? Do you have enough food? So on and so forth. But there is one, one drawback, and that's that if we do this, you have to buy the manager's meal and my meal. Those meals have to be complimentary. And then the 25 players, they'll all pay. So that was Tommy's way of getting a free meal which he has a reputation for. And at 14, he had me running in and out of these diners. If they said no, I'd get back on the bus and we'd go another hour for till the next restaurant. And we'd go through that drill all over again. The players, meanwhile, be screaming and yelling, what the hell's going on? When are we stopping to eat? Why are we driving to another restaurant? They never knew what was going on. So Tommy was very good at that. That was one of his favorite stories. Mine was he wanted to figure um, out after curfew without going to their door and doing a bed check. So I said, well, how are you going to do that? He said, I got a plan. Go get me a dozen balls. So I went and got a dozen brand new balls. And he said, let's go. We went to the elevator operator that night that ran the elevator was an old time elevator that had an operator that turned the wheel to get you up and down. And we, we approached this guy who was an elderly guy. And we said, listen, here's what we want you to do. 
we want you to take one of these balls a night on your shift, put it in your pocket. When you're running this elevator and one of our players comes in after midnight, we want you to take the ball out and ask him for his autograph. So that went on. He asked everybody that was late for their autograph. The next day I would pick up the ball. I would give it to Tommy. We'd look at the finding everyone in the, in the clubhouse that was out. Nobody knew he didn't bet check. They knew that nobody knew how he, but he developed this ingenious system of catching these guys out after curfew by having them sign their name on a ball. And they had no idea they were signing their own fate when they signed that ball. <laughs> so, I mean, it was things like that that happened all year that made it fun. But a story oh I heard about Tommy, the last pitch he ever threw was in AAA. He knew he was going to re retire when the, when the game ended. He was playing for Montreal, and he was out on the mound. His nephew told me this story like a month ago. I had never heard this, and I never knew it. So he's pitching in this game, and now they're in the ninth inning, and he's he can get a win, and he gets in a jam. And now he's got two minutes, the bases loaded, and he's nobody out, and he's walking up and down on the mound, and he's talking to himself. And his manager's looking and looking, and he's talking, and he's stomping around, and he's He's talking and talk, moving his lips, and nobody could hear him, but he was moving his lips. Finally, the manager ran, ran out and said, hey, Tommy, what are you doing? Who are you talking to? we we got a game here we got to play. Tommy looked at him and said, I'm talking to God. And he said, you're what? I'm talking to God. So what do you mean you're talking to God? Well, I'm in a jam. You can see that. I need help. I'm praying and talking to God to help me out of this situation. And the manager shook his head, walked off, went back to the dugout. Tommy stomped around the mound a little more and was getting ready, got on the rubber and started to throw the pitch, made the pitch. Boom, the guy hits a ground ball, hits into a triple play on the last pitch that he ever threw in his professional pitching line into a triple play. He won the last game he pitched in, and that's how his career ended. Never knew it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. But he talked to God quite a bit and he used to tell his players that he talked to God. And I think that a lot of them might have believed it. He he had one situation where he had a guy struggling out there and he said, you know, started talking religion as he visited him on the mound. He said, What if this was the last pitch you were gonna ever throw? And you know, get tough out here and you know, pretend it's the last pitch and so it said, Tommy said, before I got back to the dugout, he throws the pitch and bang, the guy hits a double and we lose the game. And the pitcher comes in and Tommy's screaming at him, what happened? We, we talked about the pitch you should have thrown. And the guy looked at him and said, Tommy, I was so scared about God and about dying that I couldn't think about throwing a good pitch. So <laughs> Tommy was a character. And he, he, my gosh, he was very, you read the book. You'll hear many stories like those. I love it. I love it. So, um, so first of all, um, I got an idea uh, that that will allow 
Top Fan Rivalry to partner up with you to get a copy of the book. So I'm going to talk to you about that offline. But for right now, before that happens, yeah. where can people get this book? This is, guys, this is a great book. This is probably one of the best books you'll ever baseball read. So where can I get the book? Well, you can go directly to Amazon and order the book if you prefer. We have a website that is the Lasorda University web. Uh, LasordaUniversity.com is the website. If you go to that site, it will direct you to Amazon. It will also allow you, if you hit certain box, to order an autographed copy from me which I will turn around and obviously inscribe however you want it inscribed and mailed to you. Uh, and that's only if you go to LasortaUniversity.com. If you do Perfect. if you do it that way, you can get an autographed copy if you want one, or you can order one is, that is an autograph through Amazon, or you can go directly to Amazon, either way. And, and how much is the book? Book is $21.95. $21.95. Taxes and shipping, whatever that ends up being. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So, all right. So, Zach, we need to get you on again, okay? And and Top Fan Rivalry followers, please, you got to check out this book. I've got a, an idea where Top Fan Rivalry can help Zach. I believe in his book. I believe in his stories. I could do this all morning. I know you guys are probably driving to work on Tuesday going, please don't stop this. Please don't stop it. But I don't want you guys to get fired because you're listening to a <laughs> podcast with this great guy. So, and I will make sure that we tag him. <laughs> uh, Zach, trust me. I, I'm the type of guy that would be listening to this going, I'm not going to the office until this thing is done. Yeah. Um, so Zach's the type of guy that he's very approachable. All He's got an Instagram account. We'll make sure that we tag him in the Instagram account um, as well. Follow him, okay? Uh, don't do it right now if you're driving, please. I don't want any car accidents on my head either so or on my conscience. But, Zach, thank you so much, and I look forward to talking to you offline for a few seconds. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for who you are, and thanks for raising a good baseball family. Thanks, thanks, Bill. It's always a pleasure to see you and to be, be on your show anytime. Absolutely. Top Fan Rivalry followers, do not forget, besides for Zach, to go on topfanrivalry.com, register for the watch parties. Remember, we got watch parties in San Diego, Boston, Houston, um, Atlanta, and probably New York coming up. So this is going to be a lot of fun. So, Zach, we're going to talk offline. Bill, thank hey, you so hey much. Bill. Yeah. Bill, you know, one thing I want, might want to mention, this weekend there you are dedicating University of Pennsylvania, their baseball field, they're dedicating to Tommy and Ooh. naming it the Tom Lasorda baseball field. Uh, so I just wanted your – listeners to know that uh, another award for got a, a terrific guy and well-deserved he's a pennsylvania native uh yes. norristown's favorite son and uh so it's a deserving award and uh you will be able to walk on to the tommy lasorvania and that happens this saturday and i will be there and be so happy to be there Absolutely. That's fantastic. All right, my friend. Well, Thanks, we'll have Bill. you on again. Check it out, Top Fan Rivalry followers, and we'll talk soon. Okay, good. See you.